Hello, everyone, and welcome to Celtic Preacher. It's podcast 112, and today we're going to be looking at transformation, which is this whole idea of God. God's intention really is to change us. Now, I don't know if that sounds like it's good news for you or not, but it certainly appears that one of the things that God does in our lives and, and works in our life continually is this idea of inner change. We're going to be looking today at one of the, one of the first miracles that Jesus ever did. Well, according to John, Gospel of John, it is the first one he did. It's kind of an unusual one because John starts with Jesus turning water into wine at a wedding party. Yeah, it's the very first miracle that he did. Very, very unusual. And it wasn't the box kind of wine. This is like top shelf best quality. 180 gallons of the stuff. I mean, who needs that much wine? But this is how John starts his book. And remember, John is one of, one of uh, Jesus' best friends. Why would John one of Jesus' closest friends mentioned this first before all the other healings that Jesus did. You know, I mean, all, before all his teaching, it's like John says, no, no, no. I want to start my book with what I think is really important. And you know, when I think about Jesus, I think about inner change because that's what he does to us. He changes us. Yeah, so last week, you know, we looked at the beginning. We looked at Jesus' baptism, which is actually the beginning of Jesus' ministry. A lot happens in three short years. Really, that's kind of incredible when you think about it. You know, he only taught three years on the earth. And uh, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John uh, what we call the gospel writers, gospel meaning the good news writers, they, um, they all talk about really Jesus' life story. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is just all about the beginning of Jesus' life and what he did and how he ended his life. But they all start their accounts in different ways, which is kind of fascinating because every single writer wants to emphasize something that is important to him, right? So Matthew, when he starts his book, he says, I'm going to start with telling you about the Sermon on the Mount because it is the most amazingly wise teaching I have ever come across in my whole life. And it's a total life changer, which it is, actually. But then for Luke, he said, no, I'm going to start, I'm going to start his story. I'm going to start it in the synagogue, preaching and teaching, because that's really where it all takes place and where it all starts. And then Mark, he begins with an exorcism of all things which is a very strange way to start. I mean, what, it's like, Mark, why do you want to start with an exorcism? And I think Mark is saying, well, because I want you to know that there is no power in this world that is greater than the power of God. There's no evil. There's no oppression. There's nothing as powerful as God in this world. I'm going to start my story there. And John says, no, I'm going to start my story with the wedding. That day that we had that banquet, 
the day that we had that party. I'm going to start there because that just capsulizes who he is and what he does in our lives. A curious incident that no other person ever mentions in the Bible. John starts out with Jesus at a party. And it's, it's the picture that he wants us to see. For John, it's like, no, you, you got to know. First of all, you got to know that this guy enjoyed life. You have to know that he enjoyed life. He knew how to smile. And the story is that he's at a wedding feast. And, you know, in those days, they lasted seven days. So that would be pretty hard to plan seven days' worth of food and wine. And his disciples are there and his mother's there. And it's now on day three of the celebrations. And worst thing happened, the well, worst thing if you're a host, you you the host ran out of wine. And his mother, Jesus' mother, Mary, notices this. She notices the young couple's dilemma. Verse 3, John 2 we're in. And uh, she gives Jesus a nudge and says to him, hey, hey, they've run out of wine. And she's expecting him to do something. Now, I don't know what she's expecting him to do, but she's expecting him to do something. And Jesus responds with, what are you telling me for? You know, what's that to me or you? It's almost like that's none of our business. Well, like any normal mother, she doesn't take no for an answer, right? Just because her son doesn't pay attention the first time. I wish we could have seen her expression. But uh, she doesn't take no for an answer. She looks at the servants who are standing nearby, and she says to the servants, do whatever he asks you to do. So she is assuming he's going to do something. And he does. Jesus told the servants to fill up these six large stone water jars that were standing nearby. Remember, in those days, they didn't have plumbing, so they would keep their water for washing their hands and their feet and everything. They would, they would use these big, big, massive stone water jars. And he motions to the servant to fill them up with water. And then when the, the, the wine steward tastes the water, it's become the finest quality wine. The finest quality, 180 gallons of it, which is more than you would ever, ever, ever need. Probably tells us something about the generosity of God. That would be a good guess, right? Now, not everyone at the party sees nor understands this first miracle. First of all, Jesus doesn't make a big show about it. He doesn't go up and stand over the water jars, put his hands over them and praise it. Nobody really knows what's going on. I mean, the wine steward's just puzzled. It's like, why are you serving the best quality wine this late in the party? The wine steward doesn't even know where it came from. He's just saying... Who can appreciate it? Usually people serve the best wine first, right? They don't serve it when people have had too much to drink. And then the text tells us Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. 
Hmm. Well, they already believe in him or they wouldn't be following him, but there must be a fuller understanding. And I think, you know, we can use that word belief and trust. It's interchangeable in the New Testament. So we're talking about believing in Jesus. You're talking about trusting. You say, do you trust, do you believe God? Means the same as, do you trust God? So there's something about this miracle. Actually, John doesn't call them miracles. He likes to call them signs. John would say, I'm not going to call them a miracle. I, I want to call them a sign. And it's a sign that tells you something about God. And it's an important piece of information that you need to know about your life. This is the way God works in your life. So the disciples, after this uh, sign, it's like, wow, okay. Now they've, now they've really, really got their attention on Jesus. John would say, no, it's a sign. It's a sign. It's an important sign. This is, this is the way that God works. By the way, you know, we can change the way, our understanding of God is changing all the time. Have you noticed that? I don't think that we think the same way as we did like five years ago. Do you? You know, however, whatever you thought of God five years ago, do you, do you still feel exactly the same way today? Probably not, because we're changing and we're growing in our faith and understanding. And I think this is what happens to the disciples here. You know, they, of course, yeah, did they, did they believe in him? Yeah, they're, they're following him. But after the sign, they have a deeper understanding. The text says that Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee. Well, what does the sign tell us? Well, probably much more than I, I can ever discern, but I think it's more than just a lovely gift to a young couple 2,000 years ago. I really do. I mean, John said, I've written these things that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I think John is saying, look, if he can change water into wine, and by the way, he did this kind of stuff all the time, whatever he goes, people change. It's who he is. Down throughout history and time, this is one who brings transformation. If he can change water into wine, think what he can do in your life. Think what he can do in the situations that you face. If he can change water into wine, what else can he change? See, John's experienced this firsthand because, you know, he's he's. He's been with them. By the time he wrote this book, he had, he had had three years of experience of his teaching. He saw Peter, who was quite fearful at times, change into a courageous leader. Uh, John saw the difference that Jesus makes in people's lives. He saw people like, you know, miserly Zacchaeus become generous and honest because he changed in his company. Situations can change. People change. We change. John says, 
This is, this is what Jesus, is, God's a change bringer. If he can change water into wine, and that's a small thing. If he can change water into wine, things that are normally impossible, things that just don't happen. If he can bring a change about there and surprise everyone with joy, could it be that this is the way that God operates in our world and in our lives. I think John would say, yeah, it is. This is the way God operates. God wants to help us. And by the way, it might be in the background like this sign. It might be in the background, behind the scenes, almost hidden, quietly working away, bringing change. Because I think that's intriguing that not everyone at the party is aware what has happened. I mean, it's just, it's not like it's an obvious thing. It's just like, well, where did this fantastic wine come from? You know, the disciples knew, but most, you know, no one else did. Yes, it's like when we get into struggles and dilemmas of various kinds, uh, and even when we're not struggling, I think the main thing that God is doing in our lives is bringing transformation. And it's not just individual transformation, by, by the way. You know, I tend to emphasize individual transformation because unless there's a heart change, nothing changes. I don't think you can legislate love, in other words. Um, I think everything happens on an individual level before it happens at the community level or the country level or the world level. But the biblical model for change and transformation, a healing force for good in the world, is always much bigger than just the individual. You know, it's bringing healing to families. It's bringing healing to communities. It's bringing healing to countries. It's bringing healing to the creation, nature, the environment. It affects everything, really how you structure society, who's valid, who isn't valid. By the way, with God, no one is not valid, right? It affects animals, it affects plants, the sea, the sea creatures, everything. But it always starts at the individual level. When I change, or when I allow God to change a part of me, there's a trickle-down effect upon you, right? For example, if I'm in a relationship with you and I learn how to forgive, that's going to benefit our relationship. If I'm in a relationship with you and I cannot forgive and I cannot let go of the past and I cannot let go of my resentment, that's going to have a trickle-down effect on you too, negatively. So, Yes, God is about transformation at a much larger level. I think the book of Revelation points to this. Ultimately, it's the new heavens and the new earth, which we can barely get our heads around that this is what God is doing in the world. God is bringing about change and transformation much slower than most of us would like, I think. However, that is the, the biblical witness. That's the story of the Bible, the Old and the New Testament that God is bringing change and wants to bring change. 
But it always starts with the individual. And for us, for you, it may be a change in perspective. You know, it might just be about a change of perspective. That God will bring to your mind a way of approaching a problem in a different way. And you think to yourself, you know what? I'm going to do this differently. I'm going to do this differently. I'm going to think about this person differently or this problem. And so your actions change. That would be an example of how God works, changes water into wine for you, in other words. Maybe it's a change how you view yourself. Because sometimes we can be our own worst enemy. And you're miserable because of the way you view yourself. You're too hard on yourself. Maybe it's a change in how you're going to approach a work conflict or a family disagreement. Maybe you decide, I'm going to make a change and this change is coming to me and, and I need to change my lifestyle. It could be your spending. It could be your eating. It could be how you date or who you date or your schedule. All these sorts of things. Who you're just going to spend your life with. All sorts of things can be revealed to us. You know, the Apostle Paul writes, God works in you the will and the desire to do good. So the scripture teaches that, you know, sometimes we don't have the will, like we want to change, but we don't have the will for it. And we really want to be different, but we don't quite have the impetus to move ahead. The Apostle Paul says, you know, God can help you with that too. God can actually even give you the will to move ahead and make the changes. So not only does God give you the will, the idea, the heart for moving ahead, but God can also give you the energy and the help and the strength to move ahead so that we're not stuck, right? Because who wants to be stuck? It's horrible, isn't it? So it's a strange thing that we can, we can continue on in behaviors that make us unhappy, and yet we keep on doing the same thing. It's like we, we get locked into unhelpful ways of responding. And I think what transformation does with the help of God's energy and spirit is, is that it breaks the lock and it frees us. And I think that John is saying here, you know, if you think about this now. If Jesus can change water into wine, what kind of change would you like to see in your life? What kind of change are you open to? Are you open to change at all? And if it's like, yes, I really am because I'm not very happy with what's going on just now. That's usually when we go open to change, isn't it? When we're not very happy with what's going on. Well, in these times when we're not very happy with a particular area or ourselves or a situation, it's like the Spirit of God comes along and says, okay, are you open to some transformation? Yeah, I think I am. I think I am. And then it's just about sort of being kind of open to the new things that God brings. Maybe a new way of thinking about things, a new perspective, 
Maybe beginning something new, maybe stopping something. Could be something small. Doesn't matter how small it is. It's like, God, there's the prayer. There's the heart cry. God, no matter how small the change is, this change that is coming to me, this change that's sort of, I'm thinking about it right now. I'm thinking about a particular change that I could make that would be for good. There's the prayer. There's the heart cry. God, would you, would you come and help me with your energy and your spirit implement this? Give me the will and the desire and help me welcome any transformation that you desire to bring to my life. Well, thank you for joining me. You have been listening to Celtic Preacher. Join with me again next week for another episode.